0: Good afternoon, whatever the case may be. Around this rotating globe, welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight, that magical time between dusk and dawn, where we consider things that other people reject out of hand as impossible. And we're going to go through several impossible things before breakfast, as the uh, White Queen said in Alice in Wonderland. So, don't go anywhere don't touch that dial because the next three hours is going to take you on a trip that um you're going to want to kind of pay attention to this is kind of an extraterrestrial fourth of july weekend tomorrow uh, i'm having steve bassett to give us a kind of a rundown on uh, what's going on with the uap studies and there's some new news on the nasa front which we'll be talking about with Steve. Stephen, for many, many years, has not wanted to really touch the idea that uh, NASA was involved in the extraterrestrial game. But now that they have joined the party, uh, voluntarily lifted up their hand and said, can we, can we play too? And they've opened up their own study of the uh, new uh, coin of the realm, UAP, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon, better known as UFOs. Um, We're gonna see how open Stephen is to discussing artifacts. And we're gonna also be joined by a couple of other people tomorrow night. Barbara Honiger is gonna be with us. Remember, she was a senior policy advisor in the Reagan White House, and Reagan actually set up a space commission on which a friend of mine, uh, David Webb, uh, got a seat at the table. And that ushered in all kinds of interesting political machinations in Washington. And then, because I wanted to uh, take a look at this from a much higher uh, perspective, uh, Georgia Lambert is also going to join us. So, tomorrow night is going to be a very unusual 4th of July preview. And I guarantee you, we're going to get into some areas that's going to um, surprise a lot of people. That's all I can say. Well, tonight, is a kind of a foreshadowing of tomorrow night because we're, as the lawyers say, we're laying foundation. So um, kick back. Don't touch the dial. Listen for the next three hours. And uh, frankly, I think you're going to learn something very, very intriguing, if not shocking. <clears throat> and I'm kind of obliquely referring to some of the things that uh, Morningstar wants to talk about. Oh, St. Preservus, as my grandmother once said and then said again and again and again. So, uh, for those of you who are new to the show, and I know we have a lot of new listeners uh, after I was on Coast uh, a couple, three weeks ago, um, here's what you do. You're listening on a device. You wanna make sure that device can reach the internet, uh, which means you want to go to theothersideofmidnight.com, theothersideofmidnight.com, and you click on tonight's banner, which says rather remarkably, I mean, I, uh, we are here. Um, has Curiosity finally discovered biological proof of ancient life on Mars with that remarkable uh, postcard panorama from the Curiosity mission, as it was kind of beginning to uh, survey a place called Murray Buttes, which is named after Bruce Murray, who was a uh, long time, very, very long ago friend of mine. Um, He was a planetary scientist. He and Carl Sagan created the Planetary Society together, and Bruce went on to become director of JPL, the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, for many years, and uh, so the buttes on Mars at Gale are named after Bruce bit of trivia anyway you click on that banner that takes you to tonight's guest page and right under that banner on the guest page you'll see where it says fast links to items click on my name this is a kind of a shortcut which is spaced periodically down the pages so you don't have to scroll I know some of us like scrolling we will not mention names but um, this is faster and it's a lot more accurate. Anyway, if, if you have arrived at my items, item number one, uh, we're monitoring now, uh, kind of even ahead of the web telescope commissioning and, and deployment. We're monitoring the space launch system, the Artemis uh, missions first rocket, which will go to the moon probably sometime in August. The uh, launch date has not been set. So if you want the latest results on what NASA is doing with Artemis, with the um, unmanned uh, lunar orbit test coming up in about a month and a half, you go there, that's the uh, Artemis blog. And there's some other items on that blog that you might want to take a look at. This past week, last Tuesday, coming up a week uh seven days on on tuesday this coming and six days on monday july 4th the holiday there is a little unmanned spacecraft about the size of a microwave weighing about 55 pounds which is en route tonight in a very very interesting orbit to the moon and it's a very cheap, 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 cheap orbit. It's not like, you know, you launch and three days later you're there like with Apollo. This is going to take this little spacecraft. Again, it's what's called in the trade a CubeSat, except this is 12 CubeSats all smushed together. They're modular, so if you want a bigger private spacecraft, um, you put more modules together. This was built and designed, not in that order, by a company north of me in Colorado called Advanced Space. Um, NASA paid Advanced Space about $30 million beginning in 2019 to create an unmanned 55-pound spacecraft which will get into this unique orbit around the moon that in a couple, three years, the the, the, the gateway the kind of space station orbiting the moon, the NASA's planning following its uh, uh, Artemis unmanned missions, that gateway space station will follow this very remarkable orbit and then wind up in this, what's called a almost rectilinear halo orbit around the moon, meaning that it's going backwards to the way normal orbits work. And in this very strange tilted orbit, which is gonna be about 90 degrees to the um, equator of the moon. It's gonna take them seven days to orbit once, seven being important, of course. It's a little test module, a 55-pound microwave oven-sized unmanned spacecraft carrying some very sophisticated radio instrumentation designed to probe the orbit, the planned orbit, of the Gateway Space Station to frankly see if it's stable. And this is going to entrain a whole lot of additional conversation. So by next weekend, next Saturday, when the mission is firmly committed after the last uh, engine burn in these uh, uh, six mid-course corrections that it carries out en route to this orbit, Uh, It will then embark on a several-month long, very leisurely trip between kind of intermediate Earth orbit and its final lunar orbit. It will not arrive in that orbit and be inserted into this rectilinear halo orbit until November 19th. So between next week and November 19th, it will be cruising kind of the moving gravitational fields of the Earth, the Moon, and the Sun, as we all do this three-body dance as the Earth orbits the Sun and the Moon orbits both the Sun and the Earth. That's another long discussion at some point. The niceties of celestial mechanics. Anyway, the spacecraft, 55-ounce spacecraft, in addition to the radio instrumentation, which will allow the uh, uh, tracking facilities to gauge exactly where it is in orbit, just as they're going to be doing with uh, the Gateway Space Station when that arrives in a couple of years. But it also carries some other experiments. And next week, we were going to have a very interesting conversation about those experiments and why, as a matter of fact, they might be relevant to our conversation tonight, i.e., looking at extraterrestrial presence in the solar system. So that's for next week. The other thing you wanna do is you wanna watch the uh, uh, Artemis blog for when they make the decision after they do a couple of seal replacements and a couple of other things. They just had what they call a uh, wet dress rehearsal, meaning they load the rocket with propellants, they count it down to within a few seconds of T minus zero, then they stop everything, they drain the propellants, then they move this enormous moon rocket back to the vehicle assembly building they started at about 4 30 a.m eastern time this morning that's about 2 30 a.m my time and it didn't arrive until just like a couple of hours ago because it moves literally at about one mile per hour that's a enormous crawler i was able to actually uh, inspect it and get a ride in it when I was covering Apollo. It's been converted and upgraded and refurbished and had all kinds of spiffy things done to it between the time of the Apollo Saturn Vs and the Artemis program's space launch system vehicles, but essentially its job is the same. It's to carry the rocket out to the pad, let it lift off, then trundle back to the vertical assembly building for the next rocket. And uh, that is part of what happened this morning. Now, item number two on the same page, right below it. As you know, we've been updating you on the Webb uh, Space Telescope commissioning. Uh, It got into the halo orbit a million miles behind the Earth. It was launched last December on on, uh, Christmas Day of 2021. Um, And all this time after arriving on station, they've been cooling it down, turning on instruments, checking everything. If you click that link, you'll see where we are. Now, they're planning a big, big coming out party on the 12th of July, which is one week and kind of a couple days from now. And we're going to obviously two weeks from now be able to talk about that. It it won't be ready for the next weekend shows, but we're promised some absolutely spectacular imaging from Webb. Remember, it has a 21 inch wide primary mirror. 21, I'm sorry, did I say inches? I meant feet, 21 feet. <laughs> I'm thinking of the uh, old 200 inch, which is uh, 16 feet, if you want to do the math. So this is bigger than any telescope uh, on Earth save the um, uh, two twins sitting there in Hawaii. Um, so, But it's certainly by far the biggest telescope ever put into space and we're expecting some astonishing things. Now as part of um, what we're going to talk about tonight. This past week, um, the news agencies reported something very, very uh, droll, but to me, extraordinarily important and even dramatic. Um, Item number three and four are linked together. Item three is a news story, basically out of Science Magazine, which talks about what the Curiosity Rover has done and, and the paper that was written and published pursuant to its activities. The uh, actual paper from the National Academy of Sciences is listed in item number four, so you click on that link below that title and it will take you directly to the peer-reviewed paper, which, by the way, is written in remarkably well-done English, so it's understandable for just about anybody. This is going to be the kind of baseline of our discussion tonight, because while we're looking at extraterrestrial architecture, and machines and broken furniture and bowls and and ruins and everything attributable to an incredibly advanced high-tech civilization as a matter of fact more than one on Mars several clearly discernible different epochs now of this series of civilizations NASA's still stuck back in what I would call Emily Dickinson land. What do I mean by that? Well, for those of you who are new to the show, one of my favorite poets was Emily Dickinson, who wrote from New England um, in the uh, uh, 19th century. there uh, just outside Boston. And one of her most interesting lines from a poetry goes something like, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. Meaning you don't come right out with it. You don't blurt it out you kind of, in that Victorian era, you kind of dance around the subject. So many times you will hear me talk about Emily Dickinson comparisons or uh, this or that person or individual or institution is doing Emily Dickinson again, telling the truth, maybe, and definitely telling it slant, definitely. Well, NASA did this back in January when they submitted this paper To the National Academy of Sciences and it basically rolled by without a flicker with nobody in the media even noticing and they kind of all woke up uh, about a week ago and said oh my god look at what NASA did because NASA in their very indirect roundabout uh, Emily Dickinson fashion they have found isotopic evidence that if they'd found it here on earth This is very important. If they'd found this carbon isotopic signature on Earth, there would be little quibbling about whether they'd found another region in their geological studies of ancient life on Earth. Probably bacterial, microbial, uh, maybe blue-green algae, whatever, depending upon the age of the sediments in which they found this excess of carbon-12. On Mars, the rules are different. Why? I mean, really, why? Because Mars is another planet. Mars is another planet in the same solar system as the Earth. Mars is another planet in the same galaxy as the Earth. Mars is another planet in the same universe. In other words, why do you change the rules? If science is supposed to be strictly the facts, ma'am, nothing but the facts, why do you change the rules of the game just because your results come from Mars? That gets back to one of Sagan's most infamous and frankly destructive comments that he ever made, which was, extraordinary claims demand extraordinary evidence. Which of course is totally, totally, totally wacko and totally non-scientific. Why would you bring an emotional content to the assessment of evidence when you should simply rely on the evidence itself? Again, NASA's Curiosity rover, back in January, um, found evidence in their drilling, in their sampling, in their chemical analysis in the spacecraft of an excess of the kind of carbon that 99 times out of 100 here on Earth is the direct result of biology. Now it isn't you know big guys, it isn't humans, it isn't animals, it isn't lions and tigers and bears, it's microbes. But microbes are the foundation of all ecosystems on Earth. So the idea that you land a spacecraft, specifically looking for evidence of past life on Mars, You drill down, you do the analysis, you wait like a year, you know. I mean, uh, uh, Curiosity was was, uh, in this location doing the drilling back in 2012. So it's not exactly that they've had a rush to judgment. 10 years this story, this result has been in the making. And they finally submitted the paper in, I believe, January. And the press finally gets wind of it now and what they found again if they'd found it on earth there'd be little quibbling that they had found the isotopic signatures that we've all been waiting for of ancient life on mars but of course that's not the way nasa plays the game they are stalling they are playing for time They are looking around the room, trying to think will something else save us? Because it's obvious that the National Aeronautics and Space Administration does not want ever to announce its found life anywhere but here on Earth. I mean, after 50 years, given all the evidence that we know is out there, they will not say the words. The closest they have come so far is the title of the paper depleted carbon isotope compositions observed at gale crater mars it's the press looking at the body of the paper itself that then came up with the headline in item number three because again on earth this reading would mean curiosity had found evidence of ancient life on mars so since we know there's architecture and machines and ruins and God knows what else. With this as foundation, we now have the second data point that our independent research needs to confidently go forward because it would have been very embarrassing to have artifacts without microbial carbon evidence. But you can have microbial life on a planet and not have advanced beings building you know uh, super highways and uh, high rises and huge arcologies and all that kind of thing well we've got the best of both worlds because we've got the architecture nasa's got the carbon isotope data you put them together tonight it's a lead pipe cinch that what we're looking at boys and girls for the last five years 10 years 20 years 30 years forty plus years since I started looking seriously at Sidonia. It's all real because again, the science should proceed regardless of which planet you happen to be looking at. And when you read the paper, you'll find the extraordinary, totally bizarre lengths that they're going to to avoid committing to Well guys, we found it. Including fairy dust from outer space that is heavily saturated with carbon-12 and some kind of weird chemistry involving the atmosphere. So the rain in Spain falls mainly on the upper surfaces of Gale Crater and nowhere else. And you'll find out what that means when you read the paper. So bottom line, tonight we have another very strong very dramatic data point that says that we the independent scientists outside the agency are doing science and NASA's off spending all our money doing something else because if you won't claim in a published paper the actual truth of what you found it's like what's the point speaking of NASA um has anybody noticed this week this weird kind of Uh, Internet surge of interest and semi-hysteria around the famous moon crash? Remember, back in March, uh, actually before March, uh, NASA came forward and said that tracking data indicated that some object, likely a spent upper stage of a rocket, was going to impact the moon on the far side somewhere around the beginning of March. Well, it happened on the 4th of March, and it happened out of sight of Earth. So the only uh, assets that we could bring to bear, when I say we, I'm talking about the American taxpayer-supported NASA unmanned spacecraft Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, LRO was tasked with... Finding the location, they had an impact point within a plus or minus factor, very small, because these trajectory calculations are really, really good when you have long, you know, weeks of of acquiring data. And they were able to finally find the impact site. They took pictures of it with LRO, and thereby a mystery was born. Now, we have photographed, and again, when I say we, NASA through LRO and other space missions, something like 47 impacts on the moon by various pieces of earthly hardware, rocket stages, bent spacecraft, European spacecraft, Japanese spacecraft. I mean, when, when their missions are ended, the quickest way to make sure that uh, uh, a, a Aaron spacecraft doesn't run into something else or its radio signals interfere with other transmissions because there's limited bandwidth allocated in the spectrum for these uh, long range deep space experiments. When you when you get rid of an old spacecraft that no longer is functioning, you clear the air for a new generation, a new spacecraft to use the same communications frequencies. So that's what they did they looked for a crater just like all the other 47 craters and lo and behold if you look at item number five and actually you can click on it and it gets much bigger they found not one crater but two what they call a doublet side by side now all rocket bodies basically create one crater when in 2009 NASA sent the so-called lacrosse mission to observe uh, ice and water and whatever ejected by a man-made crater. They used the upper stage centaur as the uh, mass slamming into the moon at something like 5,000 miles an hour to basically kick up the dust so it would reach sunlight and they could spectroscopically analyze it, and it created a rather large hole, something like 30 feet in diameter, something like that. Anyway, so everyone expected that when NASA photographed the mysterious rocket body impacting on the far side of the moon, there'd be a nice hole. No, there are two. And what's really weird, NASA gave out very precise measurements. And one of them, you ready for this? One of them they announced proudly is 19.5 yards wide. The other one is slightly smaller, about 17 and a half yards. 19.5 yards wide. Well, well, well. Heavens to Murgatroyd. Isn't that special, as Church Lady would want to say. Well, things got weirder, because right away, there was this problem of, why were there two craters? Usually, what causes the crater, of course, is the kinetic energy of the rocket, you know, stage empty, slamming into the moon uh, at, in some attitude where the engines are the heaviest. I mean, the rest of the stage is merely light tanking, so it weighs nothing. It's the engines that do the damage on the impact. Well, you get one crater because you got one big center of mass and it's the back of the vehicle. In this case, the object looks like it may have been a dumbbell. Like a barbell, with a thing in the middle and two heavy masses on both ends? What kind of rocket body has anybody ever designed, let alone flown, in the history of the entire space program from Earth, that would create an impact crater that looks like this? I mean, come on! Now initially, remember that when they first spotted this thing, uh, somebody early on said, well, it looks like it's a upper stage, a second stage from one of the uh, SpaceX launches. And then there's more calculations. And uh, Musk joined in and said, nope, it's not ours. And he put out some calculations showing, no, it could not be the upper stage of a, a Falcon 9 sending something into an extended Earth orbit. So then attention focused on the Chinese and their missions and after a while like a week or two the Chinese said oh, no 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 it's not ours our mission so-and-so I forget the number safely re-entered over the Pacific and is no longer out there and it certainly couldn't be that so when this crash occurred on March 4th on the far side and then LRO got the close-up imaging that NASA put out a few days ago nobody and I mean nobody to this point, has said a word about why this thing is important to them, and who may in fact have launched it. So tonight, we are sitting on a mystery, and I will hopefully answer the mystery when we return. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland, and don't touch that dial, because if you do, you'll miss the answer. the mystery of the crash on the moon. We'll be right back. back everyone on this Saturday night, July 2nd, 2022, two days before the 246th anniversary of the birth of the United States of America. Okay, the mystery crash on the moon. Everybody's looked at this crater, you want to go back to the other side of midnight and look at that picture, everybody's looked at this double crater and they simply are baffled, it doesn't conform to any, any known signature of any rocket crash we've ever had in the entire history of the space program. So let me provide a possible answer, and you're not gonna like the answer, but it's in the data, it's implicit in the data. Look at the three photographs I've arrayed on the other side of midnight with succeeding resolution Finally, so we're kind of at the resolution limit. What do you see in the bottom of the second crater? I mean, you shouldn't see anything. When something strikes the moon at 5,000 miles per hour, if it has any significant mass, it creates the equivalent of several tons of TNT, an explosion equivalent which blasts out a crater. There should be nothing there. Instead, if you look on the right, you'll see there's a three-dimensional object, a cylindrical object, rounded on the top, flat on the bottom, with a shadow, sitting in that crater, suspended in space and time, like no physical object should possibly be located on the moon. So let me give you a possible explanation for what I think we're seeing. Is it possible that we're seeing a demonstration of such extraordinary godlike power by some extraterrestrial entity that they literally, as a demo, wound up crashing an object on the moon? Which to earthbound radar look like a like a rocket body, because you can't see the details with with a radar pulse. It's just a, 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 a you know, basically a blip on a screen. But when it crashed, nothing happened to it because it was surrounded by something that current terrestrial science has no way of A figuring out and B duplicating, i.e., a force field. So literally, I mean, we're talking out of Star Trek and Star Wars here. They literally, again, in this hypothesis, and as far as it sounds, somebody decided to do this as a demonstration. This is what we're capable of. Do you really want to tug on Superman's cape? Now, I know that's an outrageous theory, but any other competing scientific theory has to do just one little thing all they have to do is explain the presence of that obviously solid cylindrical body with a rounded nose cone and a three-dimensional shadow sitting in the bottom of the second crater which should not by any physics that we think we know be there but it is And given that I've been saying for several years now that we're in some kind of interplanetary war and COVID-19 was part of what they've given us and a lot of other strange things that go bump in the night are part of the fact that our leadership is busily, busily trying to keep us from knowing that we're involved in an interplanetary war. If someone was to demonstrate overwhelming superiority, how would you go about doing it? I mean, if you blow away a terrestrial city, then everybody knows. What if it's in the interest of the ETs to also keep most of us in the dark? How do you make inroads with the elite, with those you're in conversation with, that you're in negotiations with, without giving the entire game away? Well, obviously, you set up a demonstration, just like was proposed back in 1945, when the physicists at uh, Los Alamos finally brought to President Truman, uh, who took over as Vice President uh, literally within hours of FDR dying, and it turned out he knew nothing, zero of the Manhattan Project. He had not been read in. FDR had kept him in the dark, even though FDR knew he was not long for this world. So the briefers basically told Truman, we've got this incredible weapon, we can destroy cities in a flash. You have two choices. We either use it in war, in other words, we drop the weapon on Japan, or we set up a, suple, a suitable demonstration that basically makes clear that we have this extraordinary power and they have no defense. And discussions went on for many, many weeks, I am told. And the final result was Truman decided to attack Japan because if he set up a demo and the atom bomb failed, it would be even worse than if it succeeded on a target on the home island of Japan itself. That at least is the reasoning that history has given us. I frankly think there were some other things involved, but that's another show. So are we looking at this mysterious crash where nobody opens up that they've done it? And if they did, would we believe them because no terrestrial technology can possibly survive intact as a, you know, almost a uh, uh, 40 foot long upper stage lying there in pristine fashion in the bottom of a crater when it should have been smashed to billions of little shiny bits escaping across the lunar surface from a very bright hole the floor is open for discussion tonight we Richard got, hang on hang on let me introduce everybody okay. all right yeah. we've got robert morningstar We have our friend from britain rogero we've got uh you ron ron gerbron our resident generalist we've got keith morgan who uh, is our it expert and also has done some amazing work at sedonia go read his sedonia paper the morgan curve have i missed anybody (coughs) okay ron you had something you wanted to add to my potentially absolutely far out explanation
1: Yes, yes. I, I would like to add some uh, extra confusion to that uh, brilliant dissertation. The um, first uh, off, the uh, hanging in the air thing—that uh, sounds like a docking web, which was something out of Farscape. Which, of course, is one of those shows but, that very but, few but, people saw. What, what,
0: what do you mean, hanging in the air?
1: Well, you said it was—it was caught right before it hit the ground, so that it didn't. No, it, uh, no, 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 paper. no. I
0: no no pale face. I didn't say that at all. I said it's protected oh. by a force field and in the impact it created the crater and it's untouched. It's unscathed. Okay. It's just lying there as evidence that they have shields and we don't. And you know who wins in a war when one side can hide behind a shield.
1: Right. Right. Okay. Well the docking web was a force field, but that's all right. Uh, I I misunderstood. However, uh, here's a wrinkle uh, There is some chatter That what was uh, What the may have been going on Was A, it was In fact the most likely suspect The Chinese Who have denied it And the reason they were denying it is that their space program has been some might call it uh, presumptuous. You know they've been doing stuff all at once. Remember they sent something to Mars, and so they sent a uh, they sent an orbiter, a lander, and a rover all at once, first time, boom, and uh, they see how it would work out. Well, in the case of this, they may have been sending or testing a uh, uh, a man. Carrying craft complete with a lander big heavy lander and that was the other stage that may have separated and created the other crater they were just going to land on the far side of the moon which is where they want to poke around looking for things uh with uh people and equipment and everything else well the stuff now that on, would, hang on
0: hang on the stuff on the far side yeah. is much better preserved than the stuff on the near side as you're going to find out when artemis gets to the South Pole at some point. But see, right. that, that you're, you're completely ignoring the obvious. I do not think the Chinese have a way of keeping upper stages from flying into a trillion little bergy bits when they impact the moon at 5,000 miles an hour. Nobody does well, that mean, in mainstream physics. I'm, Nobody. Yeah. If the Chinese have screens, then Taiwan is gone. You know, the Tricoms will be landing in San Francisco in five hours and everyone's going to have to learn to speak Chinese, who isn't Robert Morningstar, who already does. In other words, your proposal is silly.
1: I don't know my proposal.
0: No, because you have to ignore the fact that there is an object, a structured artificial object lying at the bottom of a crater where it cannot be. Well, it doesn't countermand
1: what you said. It's uh, it doesn't countermand your uh, theory there. It's just a uh, something that would indicate why there would have been more mass involved in the thing that crashed. But that doesn't explain it the, the way.
0: doesn't explain this obviously intact object lying in the in the bottom of crater number number two. Robert, no, it does not. Robert, go ahead.
2: Let me, let me try to give you an alternative explanation. I, I side with Ron that this may be a secret Chinese uh, rocket. Because I've just I've just blown up this image to gigantic proportions. You know, if you uh, hold the control button down and the and roll the wheel, I've just blown it up to gigantic proportions. And there is another thing that perhaps has been missed in the center between these two quote unquote craters. There is a pit dug out. The shadow of this object is being cast into that pit. And what I see is a failed attempt to land with a very powerful rocket, kind of like the way that Elon Musk lands on, uh, on its tail shades of Rocky Jones Space Ranger. I always dreamed of seeing that kind of a landing, and Musk did it. I think the Chinese may have tried to do it. If you blow this thing up, as I've just said, hold the control button down and roll the wheel and make it really big, you'll see that the barbell in the center, that's a pit, I think the thing tried to break its uh, fall with a very powerful rocket it landed and fell over remember uh, Elon Musk's first attempts to do it when he melted the uh, the landing gear and the thing toppled over yeah I, mean, I saw all them that's when George yeah.
0: Nori said to me oh dramatically one night I'm on coast and I'm talking about this as the coming revolution for space travel and, you know, George is watching this rocket tip over and he says, ah, he'll never do it. And I said, what? Of course he'll do it. Every yeah. technology has growing pains. And now he's got what? 50, 100 successful returns right. of, of the first stage. But see, if, if that was what we're seeing,
2: how do you explain two craters? The blast of the landing, the jet, the uh, rocket blast attempting to land, blowing out sideways in two directions, creating symmetrical. No,
0: no, um, no, 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 no. We have dozens, uh, hundreds, thousands of double craters caused by meteors all over the solar system. We've looked at them very closely. What happens is that one typically arrives just a few seconds before the other because they're not exactly at 90 degrees to the impact because they're rotating. They're like a barbell, except there's no rod in the middle. They're in orbit around each other. Hang on, hang on. And so they hit almost simultaneously. The one that hits first creates the crater. The one that hits second creates another crater right next to it and creates a wall between that crater and the first crater. So that's the so-called separation you're seeing from the double impact. But nothing can survive a earthly technology a 5,000 mile an hour impact,
2: nothing. If, if it's breaking, it's fall with a rocket. You would it not could. have was, you would not have so, the rocket body slamming
0: down next to where you're landing. That would be what typically. If do-
2: like, like, what if it landed like Musk's uh, first landings and just toppled over? But the other thing is again. But so you I wouldn't get out, a double crater. There's you no- can get uh, an idea of the shape of this object by looking at the shadow that it's casting, and yes. it does have a very interesting aerodynamic shape it
0: does it, it's happen. got a, it's got a blunt nose it's got a wide body got a fly, it looks like a rocket but it can't be a rocket because it would have been smashed to bits so it looks like a rocket yep. it created a double crater I'm telling you the fact that nobody's owned up to it we know the Chinese want to go to the moon hell they sent um, uh, Chang 5 to the far side of the moon picked up samples and brought them back. And analyze them under very interesting circumstances so it's not like they're shy about what they're doing on the moon but
2: well, President Kennedy just whispered to me and he said <laughs> success yeah. has a dozen fathers and failure is an orphan and I think that's what we're looking at here somebody yes, doesn't, I, doesn't want to I see you guys they're
0: are just waving your hands and what, saying the laws of physics don't apply the laws oh, no, 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 the no, no, no,
1: no, wait a minute. I, I think, I think uh, Robert's uh, proposal that there were rockets in it that got involved uh, is is fairly plausible because I could believe the Chinese would try to do that. Does, some,
0: does someone have a calculator out there? I don't have one in front of me. Okay. Someone, Robert, do you have a calculator? Keith, do yeah. you have a calculator? Okay. Yeah. Remember. The tip-off here is one of the craters is very proudly boasted to be nineteen point five yards in diameter. Mm-hmm. Why that number? Come on, it and, he, get and, your and, attention. And, and the other, and the other, and the other <laughs> is, is no all the all the hidden secret physics. This is the number. It's not Hoagland. It's everything that you've been kept from for the last you know fifty, hundred, mm-hmm. two hundred years. So you yeah. add those together, 19.5 and 17.5, right? Keith, what, what's the total? Mm-hmm. Someone doing a calculation, please. 37. Oh, 37.
2: 37. 37. 37, yeah. Okay,
0: that's 37 yards times three. Okay, what's that?
1: 111.
0: 111. Why is 111 important? Because 11 and any 1111111 is 19.47, mathematically. I've proven that in previous years. This is all a setup, but it's not by any earthly or Chinese idiots. It's someone out there, the breakaways, proving to a disbelieving military, yeah, we can wipe your nose on Sunday and take you out to, to whatever on Monday, and not even muss a hair, because you would have to have a rocket that would create a crater 111 feet across. What the hell? The moon has only one-sixth no. gravity. You don't. I meet. didn't say that it didn't crash and make a big
1: mess, and that would. But probably then be it the would not stuff. have
0: survived. It would not survive as an intact object. That's obviously cylindrical, cone-shaped, rocket-shaped, etc., lying there like nothing ever happened. That's in the other crater. They're together, right. side by side. They're within hundred eleven feet of each other. All right. Yeah, but there's nothing. Is there anything in the second crater? No. The What's, second okay. crater. Okay. The mystery has to is be. why is there something in the first crater? Because the first crater was not explosive.
1: The, what hit there was not explosive. Then, it then, exploded. It broke then, apart. Then, the, the other one then, had a bunch of volatile stuff in it and blew up. Then what create, a crater.
0: Then what created the
1: second crater? The one that has nothing in the bottom? The explosion of the lander and return vehicle combo. No, you're seeing awesome. it lying
0: there. In your theory, you're seeing it lying on its side in the bottom of that crater. Nothing exploded. It,
2: it's, it's intact. Actually, there is something in the first crater. There are, you're there are two a, two you're beyond the
0: limits of resolution.
2: Sorry. No, no, no. Yes. Just look it up. I, got ha- I have.
0: See That's noise. There, that is noise. Uh, There's a level there, beyond which you're not seeing what's there.
1: We could settle this if we had a big enough computer. You realize the original images from the LRO are staggeringly large. And so they could, we just can't, load, we just can't, we can't even download them. much. Well, we speak to a
0: very large audience. If there's somebody out yeah. there who wants to slip us an image or do some processing and slip us a processed image, the LRO yeah. data is supposedly public. You can go to the LRO mm-hmm. website, download it. It's several gigabytes, I think or one of these images. Um, Mm. But I'm telling you, the presence of an object, a structured object that looks suspiciously like a rocket in that second crater cannot be because the combined width is 111 feet, which goes back to the 19.5. It's a recursive, redundant message. And what's the message? It's we got the physics and you don't. Don't tug on Superman's cape.
2: Yeah, remember what my first impression when uh, we saw these pictures, my first impression was that rockets that impact the moon make circular craters, and this is a doublet, and this is more reminiscent of artillery than uh, a rocket crash.
0: No, it's not, Because because if impact velocity on the moon, counting orbital velocity around the sun... And the escape velocity of the moon and the gravitational attraction of the Earth, remember it's an earth moon system, you wind up slamming into the moon at five thousand miles per per hour. I don't mm-hmm. think don 't remember how many feet per second that is, but it destroys everything. There's nothing but little bits left. in fact, a lot of it goes into incandescence as a plasma. The kinetic energy, which is calculable for any given mass, goes up as the square of the velocity. So, no, this is a genuine... What if
2: the original shape involved two huge spherical structures in front of this rocket as the tail section? You can add any
0: complication to the model you want. You still don't make it. Nothing should be there. There is something there that cannot be created from Earth. Therefore, <clears throat> Sherlock Holmes logic, it's not from Earth. And if we are in a war and I, do I don't not, and, like and, and I do not believe that Donald Trump went scampering across Lafayette Park, having the Secret Service and the Army clear or that she, square. Hang Trump on. Clear, here. Hang on. No, but it's, it's very it's very it's, very it's very it's very guys. It's my show. Thank you. you know, it's, it's your show. It's, it's very Let's, germane. If you'll listen, I'll tell you why it's germane.
2: From the get-go. This is not the impact of the beast into the moon. Okay? Yes. Donald Trump has nothing to do he with this. He most certainly does. Most certainly does. Are you going to tell me he grabbed the steering wheel and all that? Blur- why don't you be
0: quiet and let me finish, okay? Okay, Thank go you. ahead. That's what courteous people who respect each other do. Thank you. So, so i heard several years ago, Trump, under circumstances that I found bizarre at the time, which were attributed to his ego, which I didn't believe for a nanosecond, used all authority to on a rapid timetable, eliminate uh, protesters and anyone from Lafayette Park so he could walk across with his top cabinet and the joint the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, dressed in military gear, in uniform, to stand in front of St. John's Church, hold up the Bible upside down, and mutter a few platitudes. My thinking all along was this was a required signal of the President of the United States by whoever upstairs we are at war with And it basically was an accession of some point. And the upside down Bible was meant like an upside down flag to signal that Trump was doing this under duress. He did not want to be there. He had to be there. So he signaled with an upside down Bible like nobody knows how to hold a Bible. And of course he was ridiculed. He was, you know, pilloried. He was made a fool of again and again and again, when in fact, he used in his own terminology repeatedly, when COVID suddenly erupted the phrase, the invisible war, the invisible war. Now most people took it to be that viruses are invisible. What if in fact he was making a larger Emily Dickinson point that we're involved in an invisible war and he could only communicate this to those that knew through symbols and codes and the upside-down Bible. And I believe that this is part of that secret agenda and secret reality. We are at war, and nobody wants to tell us. Well,
2: I agree that we're at war. But I don't think this has anything to do with the upside-down Bible and that incident at the park. Okay, okay Richard? Yeah. Your, your mileage really? your mileage may vary. Okay. Well,
1: apparently my my mileage varies, too. I don't think Trump's germane to this.
2: Okay. Anyway, I think we have to get better pictures. I think that uh, it is possible that this thing had a different shape. It is possible that it could have had two globular structures ahead of this tail section. The globular structure struck and made those craters, and the tail section survived. At 5,000 miles per hour. Yes, at 5,000 yeah. miles per hour because the two globular structures broke the impact for the for The, the Russians have built launch vehicles that had that used
1: spherical fuel tanks. They were, they're rather goofy-looking rockets, but they've launched that's, a lot of those. See, yeah.
0: you guys are completely, obviously, deliberately ignoring the 19.5 redundancy.
1: That no, physics. it fits right in. That's it fits it. right in there. No, it doesn't.
0: You can't determine the size of an impact crater unless you carefully work out the mass, the velocity and all that. It's got to be part of the equation. A random impact due to solar forces and a spent rocket booster, even a failed landing would not create a double signature. I, I, I wondered why the other crater was smaller. I didn't have the time to do the addition. You tell me now it's 111 feet. Well, 1111 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, 11, it's all the mathematical code for 19.5, which is the code for hyperdimensional physics, which lets you do this and walk away unscathed.
2: Well, no, the there moon is a get a they the size, uh, they could determine the size of these craters by the known size of the other craters around it.
0: No, you don't do it that way. So- you know the distance of LRO from the surface. You know you the, you know, you, know the, the field, you know the field. You know you know the field of view. Robert, would you please stop? You know the field of view. Who's the astronomer here? You know the field of view. You know the you know Tycho Gray. You know you know the field angular uh, diameter of, of of the lens, the focal length, all those parameters. You know the orbit. You know exactly how high you were. When you took the picture that's all those craters all those features fall out of the equation automatically because of trigonometry there's no guesswork so we know exactly Down, i mean lro can see things on the order of inches inches and we're talking about two craters with a combined you know size of 111 feet come on all right let us move on we're not going to solve this if there's anybody out there that has access to the full LRO imagery, let us know. If you want to do the processing, you can do that and provide us with the product. If you want to leak it from inside NASA and not tell anybody where it came from, that's okay too. But to me, this definitely is in in Stanton Friedman's gray basket. It's not from Earth. I think it's the breakaways demonstrating their overwhelming superiority in the war that nobody wants to admit to and i believe i believe ukraine is frankly a diversion so people have a war to focus on just not the war okay
2: right. i agree it could be the breakaways oh okay so it, a break. I, I would like
1: to add a couple of questions a couple of questions.
2: Hang on, guys. now. hang on me. hang on guys
0: hang on okay you're on the other side of midnight and if i can get this darn thing to
1: play
0: there we are, there we are, there we are. Okay, sometimes technology works and sometimes it doesn't. So we can take out a couple of minutes of the end of that back and forth because it's not adding to the show when we, uh, when we do the um, program for KCAA. Remember they have very rigid time constraints. So we'll let this play, we'll sub the music at the appropriate time. Here on the other side of midnight, my name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Over and out.